The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. As usual, it is Drew here talking with Josh and Connor, catching you up on all things in the crazy world of Major League Soccer. And we even had some international action this past week, so super excited to talk U.S. men's national team, MLS, and a lot of soccer going on. So we have a really excited episode for you guys. Thanks for tuning in as always. And it's been seven days, seven, six, seven days, something like that. So we've talked last. Um, had a fun sports week, some heartbreak, some triumph. Eight days, Yes. as Josh <laughs> is holding up his hands. The eight one days. number you didn't say. <laughs> six, seven, no, eight. So it's been eight days. It's been over a week. Since we've talked last, uh, some interesting sports moments, some interesting life moments. Is Josh has a new microphone, which the listeners can probably tell in a couple seconds. So, Josh, over to you and your new microphone. How has your week been? How's, how are things going for you so far? It has been an extremely busy week. Um, like I said last week, was getting uh, settled in and adjusted to the new place. And uh, I'm, I think I'm officially settled now. All set up here in the basement, as I was uh, showing you guys my place earlier over FaceTime. Um, but yeah, what's happened since we talked? Was it what will we say Monday? I coached some more, um, and I the the Hawks have been playing great. That's probably been one of the biggest things since then. Hopefully, fingers crossed, they close out the series tomorrow night. Although I have just the worst feeling about it because I'm an Atlanta sports fan. Um, got this new microphone. It's all set up. Like Drew said, hopefully you guys can tell a difference. Even if you don't, at least Connor can tell a difference and he'll stop <laughs> bugging me about it. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, for me, it was just a really busy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Saturday, I played my usual pickup in the morning and then went to the Atlanta United game in the afternoon. And that was uh, pretty fun. I, so I normally sit in the corner behind the goal across from the supporters section. And this time, one of my friends, uh, he had two extra seats next to him, a lot closer to the supporters section, which is really cool. There's only like four rows from the field. So like we were really up on the players. Um, And those other seats were about 10 rows back. And so you're close, but this was even closer. So that was really cool. However, the roof was open on Saturday and I was in the corner where the sun shines through. So for the first 25 minutes of the game, I was cooking like a lobster in the sun. Luckily, I didn't really get sunburnt at all. I don't know how I didn't, but, but, I, but I didn't. And uh, yeah, Sunday, lots of sports, as we were just talking about. Uh, the U.S. played, the Hawks played at the same time. The Indy 500 was happening at the same time. 
And then yesterday for Memorial Day, I played some more pickup in the morning. And then uh, I ended up, <laughs> as I was leaving from soccer, my roommate was like, hey, you want to play golf? And I got home, showered, changed, and left for the golf course and played around. It's been beautiful weather here in Georgia, so it was nice to take advantage of it over the weekend. Connor, how was your week since we last talked? No Memorial Day for you. And was it last week that you had Victoria Day? Was that when that was? Yes, because fireworks were going off as we were recording in the park slash ravine thing that's behind my house. Uh, but my week has been less than ideal, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into one aspect as to why. Uh, actually, we'll get into two aspects as to why, but a bunch of schoolwork. I had a quiz yesterday, assignment today due, um, which I got like two more weeks of online school which has gone by very quickly. Um, But the major thing that happened in my life was my hockey team blew a 3-1 series lead to the Montreal Canadiens. So if you couldn't tell, um, very depressed. And that was one of the worst things I've seen from that team in a long time. And they lost to a Zamboni driver who was their own Zamboni driver and blew a 4-1 lead with 10 minutes to go in the third period, albeit eight years ago. Um, I How are you surprised by that, Josh? Actually, I guess you didn't follow hockey. Well, no, I knew about the Zamboni driver. Like, I did know about that. I remember that being, like, a big deal um, a couple years ago. Last year, was it? I don't remember exactly. But yes. the fact that the Zamboni driver was Toronto's Zamboni driver is just hilarious. Like, it makes it all the more... <laughs> That's what I'm. That's what I'm like surprised about. That's just like an extra twist of the knife. Yeah, he also uh, works for my university, Ryerson, uh, which don't get me started on the name because if you have been paying attention to the news, uh, they found 215 bodies of children at a residential school um, in Kelowna, I believe, BC. Um, which, if you're not familiar with the residential school system, do research into it. It's absolutely abhorrent um and canada while we like to pretend that we're the good people and we're all the nice and do everything great uh we have a not that history um there's a lot of abuse towards uh first nations people and and ryerson is the main benefactor of that because the guy who the school is named after egerton ryerson was the one who sort of created the residential school system. Um, so, yeah, uh, not a good week for Ryerson or Canada. And hockey, the best way I can sum up being a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, it's like, have you guys ever had braces? Unfortunately, yes. Um, yeah, although I will say we feel you after the Braves blew a 3-1 series lead just this past fall. And... Who knows? The Hawks might do the same thing. But yes, I've had bases too. And after a certain football game a couple years ago, we won't talk about. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm not trying to bring up that heartache for you two. But being a Leafs fan is like having braces, except every week they adjust them. Just they flip-flop which direction. So your teeth (laughs) never get better. And then some, some weeks they'll go two weeks in a row where they'll fix them. And then they'll just crush all of your hopes and dreams of ever getting your braces off. Um, so we'll see what they do this off season because 
<laughs> they probably need to do something. But again, I have another podcast to talk about this. Uh, <laughs> so we won't dive into that. We'll continue on soccer and my even terrible, even worse soccer team, which we'll get into. But Drew, you're very distracted because you're watching the Carolina Hurricanes Tampa Bay Lightning game. But how has your week gone and you are, I guess, sort of on a break with Nashville because MLS is on a break. Yeah, kind of on a break. Um, had to, got to watch the game from home against Atlanta. It was a very conflicting game. I think it might be the best way to put it. Um, the Nashville like group chat was kind of exploding when Mukhtar scored both those goals. And I was just sitting in my room like, ha, 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 go Nashville. But it was weird, but it was good. Um, kind of on a break. They host Red Bulls. In a couple weeks, I think. So getting ready for that game. Um, but yeah, the Hawks are playing good. Fully expect them to blow this, but we'll enjoy it while it's still here. Um, don't have any classes to go through. Connor's right. I'm currently watching the Lightning in the Hurricanes game. Not because I care about either of these two teams, but I have money on this game. So that's exciting because um, that's legal in Tennessee. And I'm very happy about that. So yeah, I've watched... A little bit of soccer. Um, not sure. It didn't get didn't catch the men's national team game. Unfortunately, I was not like Josh. I didn't multiple screen it, which would have been the smarter thing to do. But I was full in on the Hawks. Um, so yeah, it's been a good week. Not too busy. Uh, got yesterday off, so didn't have to go into the office. Um, I'll be back there tomorrow. And yeah, things are good. It's going well. Um, but as as mentioning multiple screening went, I multiple screened. Saturday, I think it was Saturday, the 29th, yeah, when as Atlanta and Nashville was playing, um, Champions League was going on, so we got to see Christian Pulisic win Champions League, so that was cool, um, first American to win that, I'm kind of a Chelsea fan, I'm not really sure, their Champions League run in 2012, I think, with Drogba beating Bayern in Bayern, um, was kind of like the game that convinced me to support Chelsea, so to see them win it all was cool, uh, did either of you guys catch that game, or... Were you expecting City to win it, Chelsea to win it? Were you guys happy about it? I know, Connor, you're like a Bayern fan. And I know Rachel was disappointed because Chelsea beat Bayern. So were you happy seeing Chelsea win it? Finally seeing American win it after a Canadian won it last year. I wouldn't say I'm a full-on Bayern fan. I'm more of a Canadian fan. So therefore, by extension, I'm a Bayern fan because Davies. Um, But I was happy with whatever outcome. I wanted Chelsea just because it's... They were the underdogs, sort of, in my opinion. And Christian Pulisic had would have had a bigger, uh, I guess, influence on the game because you knew, barring an injury, he was going to come on at some point, uh, which he did, obviously. But, Josh, you shook your head. You didn't watch the Champions League final? Uh, no, because I was at the Atlanta United game. I, I couldn't because MLS... You didn't record it? Okay, first of all... Seeing the result, 1-0, didn't exactly convince me that I should go back and watch it, okay? Although, yes, I did hear it was pretty good for a final. Second of all, I just don't care. I mean, cool that Polistic one, like, very exciting. <laughs> but I just I just found myself not caring. I mean, I don't know why. I mean, I didn't really care that much about the... Was it Byron PSG last year? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm... I'm I'm burnt out from watching Champions League finals because of Spurs and them making it back, you know, a couple years ago. I don't know, but I did see Chelsea win because two 
separate people in like the rows in front of me at the Atlanta United game had the game on their phones. And <laughs> I was close enough to where I could make out the Chelsea players like cheering and celebrating once the final whistle blew. So like I was watching literally the game on the field, watching Atlanta and Nashville, and then like looking over at these people's phones, like, is the game over yet? Like, is the game over yet? It's like, oh, okay, Chelsea won, I guess. So, yeah, that's 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 as much as I got out of it. Drew, do you watch the game? I think you said you did, yeah? I, I caught a little bit of it. I caught, I remember the ball. I totally forgot who made that pass to set up. Um, oh, my gosh. Havertz. Who scored? Havertz. Havertz scored. It was a really good pass to set him up. He just kind of skirted by the Man City goalkeeper. I saw that. I saw Pulisic come inches away from scoring. That would have exploded men's national team Twitter. But I was kind of divided because I was watching Atlanta Nashville for like work stuff and just watching that game. I had that on my laptop. And then as you guys saw my TV on the floor here, I was sitting on the floor with the Nashville Atlanta game on my laptop and then this Champions League final on my TV. So I caught a little bit of it. Um, don't remember any specifics, but I do remember Havertz scoring the goal because I had the audio down so I could hear the Nashville game. And when I saw the pass, I thought, there's no way Havertz is onside. And then sure enough, he scores. They start freaking out, and the flag never went up. Did you catch all of it, Connor? What I did is I recorded it, and then during halftime of the TFC game, because they were scheduled at the exact same time, which is brilliant scheduling from MLS to schedule multiple games at the same time as the biggest soccer game probably of the year, maybe secondary to the Euros final. Um, so well done on that front, but I watched it during halftime and then I watched the end of it after the TFC game. Uh, but I thought it was a pretty decent game overall. Uh, the De Bruyne injury was, that was a very brutal injury. He was already getting a black eye before he left the field, which that's a very hard collision. Uh, and the Thiago Silva injury, that was pretty sad as well. Um, but I'm happy for Chelsea, happy for Pulisic, uh, happy for the U.S. getting there after Canada. Uh, <laughs> yeah, overall, I thought it was a pretty decent game uh, in general. What did you guys think about the U.S.'s, um, if you watched it, game against Switzerland? They're friendly. 2-1 final, they lost to Switzerland. I feel like that's already not a good start, but what were your guys' thoughts on the games? Game, not games. <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, Switzerland's a pretty good team. And if you really look at the game, you understand that they're using the U.S. as a warm-up for the Euros. <laughs> so it's just like the U.S. using, you know, a smaller international team, I guess, for a warm-up for, you know, the Gold Cup. So I think in that in that sense, it's not a huge deal that they lost. Um, also, it's a friendly, and, and there's only so much you can ever take away from a friendly that being said, uh, I, I had the game on. I can't say I was watching it all the time because, like I said, I had the Indy 500 and the Hawks came on at the same time. Um, but, you know, I don't know. The, the U.S. looked okay at times. It was interesting to watch them press against the team that was also looking to press. The game looked kind of frenetic at times. And I think, in general, the U.S. kind of held their own. It, it's nice to see a team with clear ideas on the field. Uh, and, and I will never take that for granted, especially <laughs> how much the U S has struggled and with how Atlanta United has struggled as well. 
uh, with lack of identity over the last couple of years. So in that sense, you know, I think it was an okay performance for the U S um, but you know, like I said, there's not a whole lot you can take away from it. Um, and it's, it's interesting, you know, I saw a lot of people bring up points about how the U S didn't necessarily seem up for it and that that's not a big deal in a friendly, but if they can't do it now, will they be able to do it this Thursday, for example, when they have to play Honduras in what is a competitive match? Uh, you know, will they be able to flip that switch for Gold Cup, for World Cup qualifiers, things of that nature? So, you know, I, I think in that sense, maybe there is some worry for the U.S. And, and after that performance. But I think, you know, more than not, they looked like they could hold their own against Switzerland. And as a U.S. fan, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that in and of itself. The real test, like I said, though, that comes this weekend. You know, how are they going to handle playing real games uh, with real trophies on the line? And uh, I'm, I'm definitely, I think anxious is probably the best word. I'm definitely anxious about <laughs> what the U.S. is going to do on Thursday night. Will they have Christian Pulisic available for the weekend? Yes, and Zach Steffen. They were just waiting for them to play that glorified friendly drew get your thoughts quickly before i ask one more question about something i saw today but what were your thoughts on the uh friendly against switzerland yeah not a whole lot because like i said i was not multi-screening like josh here but i think when you look at depending on how much you buy into like the fifa rankings i think switzerland was 13 and mexico was like 11 something like that so like josh said switzerland's a good team um kind of a little bit of the highlights the goals I mean, you had a failure to clear it by Serginho Dest, and then I don't really remember the Swiss, their first goal, and then you had Sebastian Legette, again, MLS product, uh, scoring a pretty weird bounce-around goal that he just found himself at the end of. So not too upset about it. Um, there were some moments that the U.S. looked good. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Switzerland are a good team. And, again, I think the biggest concern that I've seen just from reactions on Twitter is that you know some teams are able to turn that switch really quickly, and the question is, can the United States turn that switch fast? Um, but they held their own against a really good team, and that's about what they're going to see from Mexico as far as talent and skill goes. Um, so I'm not too upset about it. And friendly, we'll see if missing players, missing Pulisic, like you said. I don't think Tyler Adams played. I don't know if Eunice Musa got on the field at all. I think he might have been the A team, but I'm not sure. Um, but I'm not too upset about it, and we'll see, like Josh said, real important games start this weekend. So excited to see that. So I saw this thing about Gio Reyna today. Did you guys see that as well? Yes. What was that about, the entire sort of Gio Reyna not being available for certain games thing? Yeah, so this isn't necessarily like new information, but I think I think people, whoever was like reporting on that was trying to make it a bigger deal than it actually was. But the gist of it is these European-based players will not be available for the Gold Cup, uh, which doesn't start until July, mind you, so this is still about a month away. They won't be available for Gold Cup because they need to be in preseason with their clubs. And the main reason for Reyna not being allowed to be with the U.S. is because they have a new manager in Marco Rosa coming from Gladbach. So players like him, uh, like... um, uh, Weston McKinney, right? Because Juventus now have uh, Allegrini. What's his? I don't remember his name. They just got a new manager, right? They got rid of Pirlo. Um, things like that. There are a few players. I can't. Oh, Brian Reynolds is a good example, right? 
Jose Mourinho's at Roma now, which sucks for Brian Reynolds. But um, yeah, so things like that. It's just all these European-based players. They need to be in preseason with their teams. And I think Berhalter said as much. He said, like, end of story, those guys need to be in preseason with their clubs. We're not going to keep them from that. So it'll be nice to have them for Champions League. But I think the whole time, especially the coaching staff, like they knew that the Gold Cup was going to be mostly domestic-based players. So that's that's basically what that is. Am I just crazy, or will Tyler Adams not be available as well? Because didn't Leipzig get a new manager as well? Or am I just insane? Uh, yeah, they got what do you, Jesse What do you mean, Marsh. are you insane? It's, yeah, it's Jesse Marsh, dude. It's Jesse Marsh. Okay, so Tyler Adams won't be available. You either. know, actually, t- to be fair, well, okay, yeah, of course he's not going to be available because they have preseason regardless. But to be fair... Tyler Adams already knows Jesse Marsh. Yeah, I, I guess that's true, but it's also <laughs> been how many years? Like three years, four years since they last. I mean, of course, I'm I'm sure Jesse Marsh coaches much differently. You know, I'm sure he's evolved and gotten a lot better. But yeah, they do have some familiarity at the very least. But yeah, he wouldn't be available anyway, just because of pre- the whole preseason thing, regardless of the the new managers. And he's been struggling with injury too, so he may not even play that much with the u.s when he is available yeah for sure all right uh so we were gonna take a quick break um uh but we'll be right back to talk some more inner miami and the sanctions that came out about them as well as all the games from last week uh and a bunch of other stuff in the mls world uh so we'll be right back and we're back to talk some very, very lucky team, shall we say, because, well, a lot came out about a certain club. Um, I'm sure you can all know, tell where we're going with this. Uh, it was the patented Friday news drop uh, that MLS and every organization loves to do. But if you didn't see it, basically, Inner Miami had their sanctions uh, released by MLS uh, for having what turned out to be five DPs and not properly, uh, I guess, reporting the finances for another, like, four, maybe three. So, yeah. Uh, Josh, you wrote down all of the sanctions that they're going to face. So how hard did Inter-Miami get hit? They got they got hit pretty hard. Um I think once we all found out about there being uh, five DPs, you know, there could be an argument that maybe they weren't hit hard enough. Um, but here's here's basically the, the highlights, the main highlights of it. The club was fined $2 million. Um, operating owner Jorge Moss was fined $250,000. Um, it's him and his brother who are the main owners with Beckham. The club was also docked $2.27 million in allocation money for the 2022 and 2023 years. That's the huge one, I think. And we'll, we'll get into this in a second, but that's roughly 25% of their total allocation money for the next two years. So that's probably a big deal. Uh, like Connor mentioned, the club could have had five DPs. Well, they, they did have five DPs and just didn't mention it. Uh, besides the three that we know about in Gonzalo Higuain, uh, Matias Pellegrini, and... Who was the third one? Oh, uh, Rodolfo Pizarro. Andres Reyes and Blaise Matuidi should have been classified as DPs. And then the three players, Leandro Gonzalez-Pires, Nico Figal, and Julian Carranza, were underreported in their salary budget numbers. On top of that, 
most recently employed by Atlanta United employee Paul McDonough has been suspended through 2022 and then was promptly fired by Atlanta United. So this is a lot. This is a lot. Before we jump from that and you give your opinion, I just want to tell you how much of a fine the Jorge Mass fine is. Jorge Mass's uh, net worth is $1.4 billion. This fine is 0.0000018 of his net worth. Like, let's see, for a person earning $50,000 with a net worth of, let's go with $250,000. Is that fair? Decent net worth? Sure, that's not absurd. 0.123456.18 equals, that is the equivalent of a four and a half cent fine to his in comparison to his net worth if my math is correct which i hope it is so (laughs) that fine we could just wipe it off the board because that's absolutely pointless but josh let's hear it after i got that stupid math out of the way that probably contributed nothing what are your thoughts on the sanctions that inner miami got hit with i just can't believe i just can't believe that they had five dps that's like the biggest (laughs) thing to me because nobody knew about andres reyes needing to be classified as dp uh and it was bad enough the fact that they had four because to be quite honest no club has really tried this before that we know of like yeah the galaxy and atlanta united and even inter miami almost ran into having too many dps heading into a season but all three of those situations got resolved, either by selling a player or buying out a contract. Okay, let's so, let's, let's be honest here for a second. LA Galaxy had four DPs because Chris Champavon was on loan. Now, that is true. However, you are using MLS's roster rules against itself, which I think is okay. I mean, is it fair to other teams? Not necessarily, I guess. But the fact okay. that they... Fair. brought him in on loan as a way to skirt that rule, but in a fair sense. Um, I think it just helps being the Galaxy because I don't know how many teams could pull that off with a player of Pavone's caliber. But besides the point, um, yeah, to, to have a fifth DP is huge. And then to also under-report the salary budgets for three additional players, I mean, it's just uh, it's just so blatant by Inter-Miami to, to mess with the rules. I still have questions, personally. I want to know how involved Paul McDonough was in all this, because I think it's odd that he's been suspended, but that he also left of his own volition from the club, which that happened months before the, the, the league announced that uh, Miami was being investigated. And I've also seen some other prominent soccer media members in the U S kind of ask that same question, you know, how involved was McDonough in this? Personally, I think he might be uh, being used as a scapegoat just a little bit. Uh, and as a guy who's been in the league for five or six years, he comes from an agent background. Uh, so he's worked with the league even longer than that. 
I just find it odd that he would start to cheat and bend rules all of a sudden. Like, why would you suddenly try to do that without some outside influence? Who said he's just doing this all of a sudden? I mean, it's possible that he, he bent rules and broke rules with Atlanta United and Orlando City, but either he did a really good job of hiding it or or, or he just didn't. That That's another thing, too. With the league being single entity and, you know, when a player signs with a team, they're not actually signing their contract with the team. They're signing their contract with MLS and then playing for that team. I just think it's odd that MLS never knew about any of this. I, I guess Miami was just straight up lying. And, you know, the league just kind of was like, okay, you know, like, we'll, we trust you guys. But remember, even on this podcast, when Matuidi was signed, we immediately all thought, the three of us, oh, yeah, you know, it's a DP signing. And then when we found out he was a TAM signing, it was a huge deal because we were like, wow, how did they do that? Well, <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> they blatantly cheated. <laughs> Obviously. So, you know, yeah, I don't know. I Hopefully one day we get some more answers about the behind-the-scenes stuff. You know, waiting on that athletic article where Stage Cole and Tenorio get that magical scoop about what really went down in Inter-Miami and, and with all this craziness. But, you know, I don't know. I, I think it kind of remains to be seen if this ends up being a fair, um, fair punishment. I do think the allocation money is a big deal. You know, as much as MLS has evolved, it's really come down to how well you build out the back end of the squad, right? We've really discovered that if you want to be successful in the long term like Seattle, you've got to be really good at building depth. You want to be successful long time like Toronto, got to be really good about building your depth. I mean, look, man, they battle injuries every single week. The <laughs> fact that they ever can win and make the playoffs as much as they do is a testament to that, um, even if their physio staff has never figured out what they're doing. Drew, what are your thoughts on all this Miami stuff? I'll be honest with you guys. I actually started to forget about this until tonight. I was like, oh, that happened on Friday because they got us. I was on my way to hang out with some friends when they <laughs> broke the news. So they definitely did a good job of, of hiding it. But, Drew, do you think this is, like, fair enough from the league? Do you think maybe they needed more? Is this really going to stop Inter-Miami from breaking the rules going forward? And are there other teams, do you think, that might be breaking the rules, as Connor's kind of alluding to? Yeah, I mean, I guess there's really no way for us to figure out, right, if a team is breaking the rules like Miami did. Um, I think Connor did a – whether his math is correct, I have no idea. I'm going to trust that the math was right, but that's just like a wild perception, right, when you think about the money um, compared to what some of these guys make and are worth. I, I thought – I think when it first broke that there was the possibility of them having four – Again, I think you mentioned it, Josh, five didn't even cross my mind. They would have five DPs. Um, and lowering the budget numbers for three other players just seems weird. I'm not sure what kind of gain came out of doing that, but whatever. Um, I thought there should be some competitive, it, this, this not disadvantage, competitive punishment, I guess, about the team, you know, whether it be docking points or things like that. Um, the only thing is Miami wasn't very good last year. Um, even my dad, who doesn't really watch MLS, was saw, I think, the news on, like, the bottom of the ESPN thing. and was like, what does this mean they have five designated players? I was like, oh, that means they have five players that are supposed to be really good. And my dad was like, isn't Miami really bad? I was like, yeah, but they have five DPs, so it's just a mess. He's like, that's stupid. So even someone who doesn't really watch MLS understands. You have five DPs, you're not very good. That's not a good sign. Um so I think my big takeaway from this 
is that there should have been some competitive punishment, docking points. Um, the biggest hit, I think, was allocation money. Um, yeah, I think it's Miami is a dumpster fire. We talked about it a lot before the podcast. Not Things aren't going good. They're not very good. Um, they have a cool stadium. That's always good. Um, yeah, that's the only thing really going for Miami right now. But I thought there should have been some competitive punishment with the team. Connor, do you think they were hit hard enough, or what are your thoughts about Miami getting getting hit with some fines? I'm sort of in the same boat as you. Like, I think the financial impact on the club, not Jorge Mas, uh, but in terms of the allocation money, I think that was a big hit. But I was surprised there was no point deduction because you'd think that uh, you'd be affected points-wise for blatantly breaking the rules, which, actually, I do want to ask you guys something. Do you think this was Inter-Miami blatantly trying to break the rules? Or do you think this was just general incompetence that led to these mistakes? Oh, man, that is a tough That's hard. question because I could go either way. I think they're smart enough to push the envelope and break rules, but I also think they're dumb enough to just break the rules <laughs> because... Yeah, there's there's no way they f- did. they just honestly made that mistake. Because Paul McDonough knows what he's doing. There's no way they just accidentally signed two extra designated players. Per- so personally, I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat here, so bear with me. I have a, good, I have a gut feeling. All right, this is, this is going to sound really conspiracy-ish. <laughs> I, have, I have a gut feeling that someone forced Paul McDonough to make these moves. And whether it's the Moss brothers or Beckham or all of them, they said, we don't care. We want these players. You're going to make it work. And he said, fine, but I'm not going to like it. And then that's why at the end of the season, McDonough was like, I'm out of here. I don't feel good doing these things. And so now the league, instead of... <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. In, in, instead of like heavily punishing like this, because the league needs Miami to be good. Let's not kid yeah. ourselves here. This is a major market that has just been just god-awful from the start. I would definitely compare them to Cincinnati in terms of having such a horrible start. And they they need Miami to be good. So I have a, a gut feeling that they're mostly punishing McDonough, even though he might have had his hand forced a little bit. So that's my tin, tinfoil hat's coming off now. But that's my little conspiracy theory. <laughs> and gut feeling about the the situation tinfoil hats now being transferred to me and i will say that makes a lot of sense and very strikes me as something that jorge mas would do which may be the reason man he was the only one fined as opposed to all of the owners yeah i thought it was weird that beckham and the and the even his jorge mas's brother didn't like i why like why just one owner i think that's kind of strange Maybe MLS were trying to hide it and figured just finding Mass would create less of a news story worldwide. Like, if they find Beckham, that's front page news on every newspaper in England, period. So maybe they were just trying to hide that. Maybe they did it quietly. Um, I don't know. I like that theory, though, that McDonough didn't really have a choice. Although I do find it weird that he was suspended for through 2022 um but hey you never know uh but again i was surprised that there was no points deduction i figured for some sort of competitive advantage like that 
they'd be hit with that sort of thing. Why do you guys think they weren't hit with a point deduction? Do you think there's any sort of reasoning or do you think MLS felt as though that the allocation money uh, deduction would be enough? Uh, real quick before we answer that, I just want to point out that I believe Moss was fine because he's considered the managing owner, not his brother and not Beckham. So I believe that's why he okay. was the only one fine. So we can back off on that a little bit. Um, now, so to answer your question though, Connor, I, I wasn't expecting a points deduction, but again, this was before we found out that there was an additional DP and additional players that they were lying about budgetarily. But because they're taking away a quarter of their allocation money for the next two seasons, I do think that's a somewhat quote-unquote fair trade-off. We've also got to keep in mind that, well, I was going to say that those decisions aren't affecting the team now, and so therefore you shouldn't do a points deduction now. However, those players still play on the team. Maybe they're taking pity on... Reyes plays for Red Bull. Correct. Maybe that's a factor. Maybe they felt like they couldn't take away points because not all those players are still on the roster. Um, who knows? But I do think the 25% might be fair enough. Maybe. I think why... I mean, when Josh, you talk about MLS needing Miami to be good, this is this could be like a phenomenal storyline, right? If Miami just rescue this season and somehow make the playoffs. I find that highly unlikely. But that would be like the biggest, you should imagine, first round of the playoffs, Miami's on the road to the revolution, our beloved revolution on this podcast. And the whole storyline is Miami making this phenomenal bounce back and making in the playoffs. David Beckham's t- taking the boys to the promised land. So, but that might be the only reasoning I can come up with about the not getting a competitive punishment is that the storyline is just too juicy for MLS not to want to have as far as viewership and just becoming relevant in that market um the allocation money that that stings and you bring up a good point with the players but the only reason I can think of as far as not getting a competitive punishment was that the storyline is just like there for the taking now whether or not they actually take it or not I don't think so because they're off to a terrible start we can talk about that more on the field wise but I think it's just too juicy of a narrative. And MLS loves narratives. We love narratives in the league. And um, taking points away would just make that narrative harder and harder to achieve. And there's still a possibility of them turning it around. I don't know the odds of them turning around what they're like, but that would be a phenomenal thing for MLS if Miami were to rescue the season and somehow make a playoff run. Well, they do have Karen Gibbs coming in. So that should be a huge impact on their back line. Uh, all 85 years of his uh, experience. But let's shift from one Florida team to another and another potentially fabricated storyline to another because this team was never going to pick up this option. But Barnsley officially declined the option to purchase Daryl DK, which was reportedly $20 million. Uh, They were never going to do that unless they gained Premier League promotion. Uh, and even then, I think it would probably be, have been unlikely. But as Drew, you just mentioned, another narrative. How long do you think this narrative plays out of where will DK end up? Do you think he gets purchased before he plays 
another game for Orlando City, or do you think he's with them until the end of the season? I am going to make a guess here because I think you can make a point for either. I think, going back to the narrative here, I think he will come back to Orlando City and the story will be he's playing this massive chip on his shoulder to go to Europe again and get another shot at it. I think whether that's Premier League Championship or insert European League here, I think we'll come back to Orlando City. Maybe teams just want to see if he can do it in MLS, um, do it like he did in the championship, see if he can do another manager, different circumstances, crazy circumstances um, on national team level, etc., whatever. So I think... He will come back to Orlando City, and that will just be this roaming question. I think we'll start seeing pretty ridiculous transfer rumors from random Twitter users that aren't real journalists, and that will be a fun fun world that Orlando City fan 2453 thinks he's going to Juventus or something like that. Some crazy like that stuff. That stuff's going to pop up again. But I think he'll come back to Orlando City, and it's going to be a fun storyline to see when and where he'll go. And I think that'll be a massive chip on his shoulder that he, I mean, I think he wants to go to Europe, right? I mean, who doesn't, you know, he wants to go on play in the best teams in the world against the best players in the world and to tear it up like he did in the championship and have to come back to MLS, I think gives him a massive chip on his shoulder. And I think he'll want to go back and that'll be a fun storyline to follow as to when and where, or if, I mean, I think there's a pretty good chance that he's going eventually. It's just a matter of when, in my opinion, but that's going to be another juicy narrative we have at MLS this season. We'll just quickly skip over your pronunciation of Juventus again. Uh, but Juventus is an interesting option for me because obviously they have McKenney, so they're not afraid of bringing in American talent. Uh, Cristiano just didn't play at the end of the season, so you wonder if he maybe gets moved at some point, which would create an option at striker. They've shown an interest in MLS in the past, going after Brian Reynolds if you remember that whole uh, fiasco, I guess. But that was under Pirlo, so maybe with the new manager, it changes. Uh, I think DRLDK at Juventus would be very interesting. Um, Where do you guys think he ends up? Do you think he goes back to the championship, uh, maybe with a lower option to purchase? And actually, before we do that, do you think the purchase option was just too extreme that it was never going to be picked up and... This was sort of just there to create a bit more buzz about the move. So I, I think the purchase option was just put in and just it's just for the rare chance that they got promoted and DK just completely, you know, you know, blew up the championship, which he came pretty close to doing, but ultimately he didn't. So I just think it was kind of one of those situations where it was never realistically gonna happen. Um now and they, you know, used as a bargaining chip. A second, I'm glad uh, Drew cut out there on my. I think my internet's having a little bit of issues, and I didn't hear the Juventus mispronunciation. <laughs> I probably would have said something. Um, as for DK, though, I, I just want to say real quick, I'm of the opposite mind of Drew. I think that Orlando's going to sit DK, and they're just going to wait until he get until they get to offer and not risk the injury. Um, that also, I guess, depends on how popular, how hot of a commodity he is now. Because remember, we talked about it last week, but he's kind of gone a month without scoring. And that's not to say that he's not valued anymore by any European teams, but you know, maybe it's caused those teams to kind of back off just a little bit, maybe, maybe cool the Jets. Now, if he scores for the U.S. in that friendly against Costa Rica, 
or you know if he plays you know fantastic in that game we might be having a different conversation in a couple weeks uh, but I I think Orlando is going to try to play it safe I think they're going to be too scared of having him get injured in MLS uh, what was your other question Connor before I circle back well what league do you think he's going to end up in if he gets moved to Europe right I don't know. I could definitely see him going to like a maybe like a mid-table German team. Um, yeah, I mean, a team like Juventus could go for him. I don't know if I'd necessarily want a big club to go for DK just because I at this point I'd really want him to get tons of playing time. And, you know, I don't know if you guys have watched any of Barnsley's games or read about um, how they play soccer how they play football but they don't (laughs) they kind of they have a really heavy analytics approach to how they play and as a result what they do is not uh pleasing to watch in the slightest and so i wonder i wonder if you know some teams are kind of thinking you know how can we work with a player like dk who excels in a system like that in what is extremely rare um across all the all the five leagues all the big five leagues i should say so i don't know It's going to be interesting to see. Like I said, I think I'd rather him go to like a German team because they have such a good track record for development as opposed to a big team that might send him out on loan like Juventus or whatever. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. Drew, where do you think he ends up? Oh, man, I'm trying to think of a specific team that I would like to see him play for. But the Germany route, that makes a lot of sense. I'm just trying to think. Josh, go for it. Leeds United. Leeds United. They were apparently watching him, keeping an eye on him. I would love to see Daryl DK under Bielsa. Give me that. Inject it into my veins. You think he gets in over Bamford? Not necessarily, but he'd be learning great things from a good coach. And while they don't necessarily rotate that much, I still think he... You know, he's proven how intelligent he is and how well he's picked up these leagues, right? Because making the jump from college to MLS, he had no problem with. Making the jump from MLS to championship, he had no problem with. And so therefore, I think, you know, he's proven he's good at adapting and he's a smart guy. I think he could adapt to Bielsa's system really well and maybe give Bamford a run for his money. Or, you know, Bamford could get injured. I mean, those players train so hard and run all the time that injuries are bound to happen. So... He could get a break his way if he ends up with them somehow. All right, Drew, continue. <laughs> Sorry. Man, who I'm still I was I was buying him <laughs> some time, okay? Yeah, you didn't buy me enough time, but I was I'm trying to think of teams. I'm trying to trying to make sense. You know Can I say one? Man, that is a great yeah, go for it. I, I need all the time I need, Connor, go for it. <laughs> Leipzig. Yeah. I'm I mean, cool maybe Salzburg on. is a more... or Yeah, Salzburg would be a good one, too. Is a more likely option, just in terms of the whole development track of Red Bulls and everything. But yeah, I could I could definitely see that. Yeah, actually, Salzburg would make a lot of sense, because they have Dhaka, right? Yeah, he's on his way to Leipzig. Yeah, so now they have a striker hole. That'd be a really good spot for DK. It's sort of like a warm-up, I guess, too. We know he can succeed at a lower level in Europe. Uh, which obviously the Austrian league is, so that could make some sense too, potentially. Um, it's tough with him because, like, we really don't know much about him. Like, we know he's physical, we know he's a strong, um, 
athletic person, uh, player. And I don't know, like he really fits in a lot of systems. We don't know. What is his holdup play like? I guess it's probably the biggest question for a team that plays that sort of style, which is why I think he'd fit with the Red Bull system because he probably doesn't have to in, get involved as much. He can just sort of use his athleticism. Um, Drew, you got anything? I'm trying to kill time here. Uh, this probably makes no sense, and it's a combination of my random European soccer fandom and just teams that I think would be cool. Lyon in France. Because Memphis Depay ran out of a contract. And he's going to Barcelona. That's, yeah, the rumor is like him and Aguero are going to team up at Barcelona together. They I don't think have it's a confirmed forward. at this point. That I, know, I heard Aguero is, was confirmed. Yeah. I had to hear that. Oh, wow. I think Depay is pretty much confirmed at this point. Like, it's either confirmed or it's very close. So, I don't know what the French is record of developing players has been like i don't know of any besides jonathan david right and he's tearing it up at leal um tim yeah that guy yeah so hey yeah (laughs) yeah i'm totally cool oh my god you're just selling me even more yes daryl dk to leon i'm all for it ale ole that's what i'm going for (laughs) who's the guy who plays for nice uh are you thinking about joe chini yeah joe chini there we go is nice in league duh yeah. They are, aren't they? Right. He might be on the move too, by the way. Interesting. But he's kind of cooled off in the last uh last little bit. Unfortunate. But final question I have on this whole Barnsley DK thing. Do you guys remember when Don Garber was talking about Daryl DK? And he said it would be quite expensive to purchase him. Uh specifically I think he said twenty million dollars. Do you think he was specifically referencing the purchase option in the contract subtly with people not really knowing it? Or do you think that was just him talking up the barn, uh, not Barnsley talking up DK, the player and his value? Uh, I think it's more so like the 20 million was initially reported. Remember when DK went on loan with Barnsley. And so I think he was kind of just playing off of that more so. Since that's kind of, I think that was kind of the accepted um, number floating around. Obviously, now we know for sure. So I don't know that Garber had any inside information necessarily. Um, yes, of course he would have inside information. I mean, he runs the league. He's the one who's in charge of making all these things. He's the guy running these Central Twitter entity. accounts. He's yeah. the guy that tweets well, out these random rumors. He's Orlando <laughs> City fan five three two four. Well, then you're answering you're answering your own question, then Connor. Well, no, I. I'm not trying to say like this is what he was specifically referring to, but do you think like is this him just leaking something quietly or making a bit of a joke? No, he, he, I don't think he would never. I don't think he would ever do that. Garber strikes me as a guy that would try to keep you know his cards close to his, his was it to his vest chest. Is that what it is chest chest. Maybe if he was wearing a vest, that would work too. <laughs> he seems like a vest kind of guy. <laughs> Does he? I don't know. I could see him at the poker table. Him, McDonough, Arthur Blank. Oh, God. Okay. All the guys playing poker. Paul McDonough's not invited anymore. (laughs) True. (laughs) Who is the best poker player in MLS? We talking league executives or are we talking... We'll do league executives, coaching staff, and then players. We we should save this for for next week's episode when there aren't any games. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, we're doing this now, and I'll come up with more fun stuff next week. <laughs> Best player in Kosi Tafaro, just because he's the man. <laughs> um, and you should listen to that podcast, the listeners. Shameless. Arthur Blank. Arthur Blank has to be the best owner. He's he's not in the league. He's not in the league anymore. But I would pick Jeff Lorenowitz. Him and Michael Parker's definitely play poker on the weekends after hanging out at Chili's on happy hour, (laughs) on two for Tuesdays or something like that. After pounding a couple margaritas with the boys. (laughs) Who would be the best coach though? Bob Bradley? Are you kidding me? Oh my god. And it's got to be Michael, too. Bob and Michael. <laughs> Play with him. And then we have Don Garber as the best executive, just to have round out the bald white guy's table. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Doyle's in there, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Brian Schmetzer has to be good. He's good at everything. Yeah. That's true. Bruce Arena's probably good. I can tell you Jim Curtin wouldn't be. Minnesota. Why am I blanking on his name? He definitely would. Adrian Heath. Adrian No, Heath. don't say he'd that. Horrible. If you say he's he'd bad at anything, no, he is probably <laughs> be, phenomenal. No, he'd be terrible. And he's going to use this against us. <laughs> he'd be terrible because he'd always think he's the underdog, no matter what. And that and would eventually get his head. it will work out. <laughs> okay, we're he's, he's gonna. He, <laughs> He's going to listen to this podcast before his next poker game and be like, oh, Josh and Connor slept on me. I'm the underdog now. <laughs> and he's going to rob Don Garber from all his money. He's going to challenge us to a poker match. And the league will collapse. <laughs> Adrian Heath will become the new commissioner of MLS in a matter of weeks. That would be quite the storyline, which MLS clearly <laughs> loves. Uh, but let's take another quick break before we dive into last week's games and our fantasy updates, games... Well, actually, no game of the week because there are no games this week. Uh, goals of the week, players of the week, all of that fun stuff. Uh, so we will be right back. And we're back to talk MLS games and everything that happened last weekend, of which none of us really watch any games because we're all busy. Uh, so we will talk more storylines than games. But let's start off with uh, our jinxing because whatever we say, the opposite always happens. Uh, specifically in reference to the New York Red Bulls beating the undefeated Orlando City. Uh, 2-1, Caden Clark and Christian Caceres scored. Sylvester Vanderwater scored for Orlando City, which I still can't believe that's his name. Uh, But I assume it's you put this in the notes, Josh. But you asked the question, time to take Red Bulls seriously. And I'm curious why you asked that question, because I don't think anyone's ever not taken them seriously. Like, we all had them as a borderline playoff team, right? Uh, I don't remember if I did. I don't really remember where I had them placed, but I think this is... I put this in there more so to circle back to, like, how we were talking about them at the beginning of the season. They got off to a really rough start. I think they they lost their first two, maybe their first three. Um, and... You know, I'm posing this question mainly because we just got done talking about how Orlando was good. Yeah. You had them in eighth. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I had them borderline playoffs. And it's not that we haven't been taking them seriously or anything. It's just I felt like this was a good question to ask uh, based on them beating previously undefeated Orlando City. Because, um, I mean, that's a big that's a big win, you know? Yeah, they were top the second in the league. Uh, going into this weekend. 
But looking at our uh, standings again, probably a fair question considering Drew and I both had them lower than that in at ninth. Uh, but Drew, what do you think? Do you think it's time to take New York Red Bull seriously? Uh, or do you think this is just sort of temporary and they'll struggle later in the season? I mean, it's a good win against a very good team. I'm not sure. I think it was in New Jersey. I'm pretty sure it was at Ripple Arena. But before that, they had lost two games in a row and conveniently gotten red cards in both those games. Um, They lost 3-1 to New England, 1-0 to Philadelphia. Their last win came against Connor's beloved TFC, and they beat Chicago. Um, So I'm not totally sold on them yet. I think... They come back from the break against Nashville in Nashville. Um, one of the only two unbeaten teams left in the league, Nashville and Seattle. Um, they have Nashville, New England, Atlanta, and Orlando. They have a really tough stretch ahead. So I'm not sold on them yet. I think they have a really good opportunity in the next coming you know, weeks. Uh, they have a long break. I'm not sure what the international break is going to do as far as far as players leaving and things like that um but i'm not sold on them yet because when they play good teams they lose and they funny enough get red cards which is weird um back-to-back games with a red card um so Saying that they, directly after they beat the second best team in the east yeah i, was, I mean was that statement <laughs> after he lost two in a row beat orlando i i'm not sold on them yet I think they have they have a good opportunity to prove me wrong with really good teams coming up. I'm not taking them too seriously yet. Um, they also lost to the Galaxy Sporting and drew with DC United. So I'm taking this as a one-off good performance, um, but I'm not sold on them yet. I'm not taking them too seriously yet. I think I'm pretty confident in my placement of putting them ninth in the league, which right now pretty early on they currently are ninth in the league so i'm pretty happy with i'm I'm confident in my ninth pick right now but they have a good chance to beat some really good teams very soon after the break josh i'm gonna ask you this question unrelated to your question of time to take red bull seriously um and it's about aaron long because obviously he's up for the season uh he tore his achilles i believe yeah achilles i think it was achilles might have been ACL. It's a season-ending injury. Um, yes. Either way. But how much... Do you think that's a benefit or a negative for them for this season? Because they don't have to worry about losing him to international duty, and they can just focus on creating a solid central defensive pairing between two players. Do you think the chemistry plays into it at all, or do you think... Not having Aaron Wong is just going to screw them for the rest of the year. I think it's a horrible question. <laughs> it's a horrible really? Question. <laughs> yes. I, I, I don't think the, um, where you're coming from the question is is bad, but the question itself, like, would you rather have Aaron Long injured because then you don't have to worry about him being gone on international duty? Yes. Yeah, I could have worded that better. <laughs> like that's <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. That aspect of it has me cracking up here. Um, <laughs> look. The alternative to Aaron Long was Andres Reyes, and he scored a goal and got two yellows in 40 minutes in his only game playing, starting in place of Aaron Long. So he didn't even play this past weekend. I have to go back and look because I don't even know who the central defender pairing was for Red Bulls. But 
defense was not really an issue. If you go and look, I mean, Orlando haven't scored many goals this year. So maybe they got a little lucky playing against a team like that where they didn't have to worry about a prolific attack. In the meantime, maybe Red Bulls do find something, you know, to work with uh, with their center, you know, as to their center back pairing. I do think in the long run it'll come back to bite them because Aaron Long has immeasurable experience. And if you look at that team, name another player that can shoulder the veteran leadership role that Aaron Long had. Right? Who is their pretty much impossible? Who's their goalie again? It is someone from Europe. It's not Ryan Mira. Oh, it isn't anymore. He's another backup. It is not. Interesting. Correct. He is back to being a backup. Sadly for him. <sighs> so exactly, there's no player because the they're all like 23 or younger. <laughs> this is essentially a U23 team. So I think missing that down the stretch is going to be rough. How much do you think they regret selling that center back to Houston now? Tim Parker? Nah, I don't think they regret it. I think his form had fallen so much in New York that he just needed to be somewhere else. Um, And I do think that even if he was there, that Jared Struber wasn't going to play in that much anyway. Uh, And I'm sure he had a huge hand in them trading Parker over to Houston. So I don't think that really has too much of an effect. I mean, yeah, it sucks that they don't have the depth now, for sure, I guess, but... Uh, I, I don't think they're really missing him all that much. And I think we should talk a little bit about Orlando as well, because obviously first loss of the season. How much of an effect do you think Daryl DK is going to have on them when he comes back? Uh, we talked a bit about whether or not he even play, but if he does play, do you think he's going to have, he's going to put them over the edge and make them the best team in the East? Or do you think they're still going to be closer to a top five team than a top one team? Oh, that's a good question. Again, assuming he plays, which I think Josh brings up a valid point with the idea of sitting him to avoid injury, it's hard to imagine anyone taking over New England right now, in my mind. Um, I think... I don't think it pushes him to the best team in the East. I think it makes the conversation a lot closer. Because right now, in my mind, it's New England, everybody else, as far as the East goes. I think you could say the same for the West, as far as Seattle, everybody else. But I don't know. I think Orlando joins a conversation of possibly being the best team in the East. I think they join New England in that conversation. I don't know if they necessarily could beat New England if they were to play in the play. Well, anything can happen in the playoffs. I think instead of the conversation being New England, everybody else, I think it'll bridge the gap. It'll be New England, Orlando, everybody else, if that makes sense. That's probably a weird way to go around that question. But I think that will make a phenomenal playoff matchup or just a big game in general if these two teams play, if New England and Orlando play with DK on the team and actually playing, it's still with Orlando. I don't think he pushes them over New England, but I think he makes it pretty dang close. Josh, we know how much you love the Revs. Um, do you think, if DK comes back and plays with Orlando, do you think it, he makes Orlando City better than New England? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, Orlando, I think, has been kind of struggling a little bit, you know, offensively, and they're missing Alexander Pato, and, um, you know, obviously they've been missing DK. You know, if you get one of those or even both of them back at the same time, then yeah, you know, I think Orlando immediately gets a huge upgrade and becomes a serious threat. Um, Even if Chris Miller picks up in his form, he hasn't 
been on fire this year like he Chris was Miller. last year. And Chris Mueller? Yeah. Yeah, whatever. So little difference. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. It's, it's, yeah, it's it's a lot different, but it's the same thing, you know? Um, <laughs> We're having a good amazing. episode. Yeah, no. Um <laughs> Yeah, if if even even one of those guys comes back and is playing well, then I don't, you know, then I think Orlando immediately can challenge New England. Um, but yeah, right now they're just missing that attack so much, and they 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 could really use DK. I think. All right. Well, let's shift from one New York team's win to another New York team win with New York City FC knocking off LAFC two to one. Uh, LAFC is really the big story in this one because they were leading one nothing and they ended up blowing it um to lose 2-1 they're now ninth behind RSL in the west what is going on with LAFC right now why are they not performing like everybody thought they would is it simply because Vela's dealt with that injury or do you think there's something more to LAFC struggles so far this season? I can't fully answer that question because I haven't watched them a whole lot, but I know Velo was in the lineup, and I think he played all 90 against NYCFC, and Corey Baird got on the score sheet, and NYCFC got a red card in late in the game, 80, 86th minute. They got a red card, and yeah, Corey Baird scored first to put them up one nothing, and then Jesus Medina scored, and then... Um, yeah, NYCFC one two one. So I, I think before I had not been too worried about LAFC because I would just you just assume they're gonna make the playoffs, right? Um, I think I was worried about their supporter shield standings. Now I've officially just given up on them winning supporter shield. I don't think they can do it, especially if Seattle keeps playing like Seattle. Um, but now I'm kind of worrying about just playoffs in general that everyone just assumed this team is going to win a trophy. The question was whether they win two trophies or not. And right now they're not looking very good because they had a lead against NYCFC, blew it, and then had a man down. And I think they conceded the second goal with against a 10-man NYCFC. Yeah, the red card came before NYCFC's second goal. So they conceded the game winner to a 10-man NYCFC team. Like you said, they're ninth. Um, trying to look at their stretches right now. Houston, Dallas, SKC, and RSL, um, which if you just say it, not knowing the situation of the season, that sounds pretty easy, but Houston, RSL, nothing to sneeze at. SKC is obviously really good. Dallas might be a good opportunity for them to get three points, but I'm I'm officially worried about LAFC. Um, I thought the whole point was, oh, they'll get Vail back and it'll be back to normal, and they get Vail back and they blow a lead and lose when they're up a man. So I'm officially concerned about LAFC. Um, yeah, not just as far as supporter shield go, but as far as just making the playoffs go. Um, this team's way too talented to be doing that. They had Rossi, Vela, Atuesta, all starting. Um, I think they all Atuesta got subbed out, and especially if Atuesta gets goes away and gets sold somewhere, because that was a potential possibility for this season. I haven't heard a lot more about that, but if he goes, then that's not good because we're already worried about them and you take away arguably their most important player 
things really are looking good in Los Angeles for one team. I think the Galaxy are doing pretty good. We're not going to talk too much about the Galaxy. But, yes, I'm officially worried about LAFC just making the playoffs, which is really weird because the Galaxy are currently in third. So I'm worried about LAFC. Josh, what do you think about LAFC? You worried about them yet? Um, just waiting for Vela to get back to normal Vela, or what, what are your thoughts around LAFC? I'm not that worried about them. I still stand by what I said last week in that I think they're really setting their sights on MLS Cup, and that's just such a long-term, such a long-term thing that being ninth and behind RSL right now is not the worst thing in the world. What worries me is that they're just not clicking in the way we're used to seeing them click. And with Vela back now fully healthy, as it seems, and with him, I think, what did we say he played? He started last week too, might have subbed off. I can't remember, but it seems like he's getting fully fit. You know, the the rational thing to do here is to take a wait-and-see approach, right? Let's see how they do after this little two-, three-week break we have going on. But, you know, Vela doesn't necessarily solve their issues either. (laughs) Their defense is the one who conceded that late winner to NYCFC at home, up a man. So that is something that would freak me out if I was an LAFC fan. But I'm also wondering if LAFC have made the mistake of not getting rid of their players fast enough. You know, maybe the team has become stagnant because in soccer, there has to be a certain amount of turnover, especially under a really high intensity, passionate coach like Bob Bradley. All right. I think personally, there are two ways you can go about organizing a team you can have a really high energy passionate passionate coach that is only there for a couple years two maybe three and then you move on to another or you have a high intense you know an intense coach but you're cycling through players you know for example let's look at seattle right they're the poster child of mls in terms of having a dynasty how many players on this team were on the team you know two years ago three years ago yeah, they have a core, right? You know, Jordan Morris, Raul Ruiz Diaz has only been with the team for three years. Um, Nico Ladero, obviously. Like, you need those centerpieces. But, like, look at the, the players that are coming through for them right now. Kellen Rowe, uh, Freddie Montero. Um, you know, Nuhu has been played in a different way than he was in all those years there, even though he's not necessarily a new player. They're all done. Brad Smith. Exactly. They are, they are playing much different roles now than they were a couple years ago. But if you look at this LAFC team... They've tried to do that by bringing in players like Jose Cifuentes and Francisco Hinella. Um, I can't remember their new center back's name off the top of my head. Uh, whoever plays alongside Segura. Blackman? But No, it's not Blackman. He's from, I think, Ecuador or Colombia. They just signed him at the tail end of last season. Um, I'll look it up real quick, but... Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I think not selling uh, Diego Rossi and I think it's Jesus Murillo is who I'm thinking of. That's okay. that's who it is. Yeah, yeah so they've, they've tried, you know, they've tried to refresh the squad, I think is a good way to put it. But the fact that there's always been these rumors around Atuesta and Mark Anthony K and Diego Rossi and Brian Rodriguez, and yet these guys are still here and the team is no longer like, you know, got their 
feet on people's throats in the in games. I don't know. Maybe these are early warning signs, but something's got to change if they're gonna they're gonna make the playoffs because at some point it's gonna be too late for them to catch back up, as we like to you know as I like to think with with uh, Minnesota United. On the flip side, though, NYSA, NYCFC great win on the road. You know this is one of two Western Conference opponents they're gonna see this season. Um, and for them to really rally and do so, especially, you know, a week after pretty much dominating Columbus and still losing, this is a good rebound win for them. And uh, NYCFC is going to have to be a team that we keep an eye on going forward because of all the new players that they've brought into their squad. Um, players we haven't even seen yet. Guys that are not even fully healthy yet, like Maxi Morales. Bear hasn't even appeared for the team yet this season, and he's due back uh, in the next, you know, couple months. They could be they could be a team that you know people need to watch out for. So a good win for NYCFC, really bad loss for LAFC though I think. All right, and speaking of Columbus, they played Toronto FC this past weekend, and what was I picked as my game of the week? Uh, Columbus ended up winning two to one uh, after a shambolic first half performance from Toronto. Uh, but I wanted to get your thoughts on something that's been very well discussed, I guess we can say, in Toronto FC circles, specifically related to Chris Armas and his job as manager so far, uh, his roster deployment, his substitutions, his decision to start Alex Bono in every single game, um, having Alro Jr. play as a central midfielder, instead of his natural right back uh, and not have using Delgado on the right wing for just using him there for some reason. But I want to get an outsider's perspective on this because obviously everybody knows my opinions on Chris Armas. I don't like the guy. I don't think he's a good manager. I think TFC should fire him. Uh, frankly, it's, he's not a fit. His entire system and his stubbornness doesn't work. But what do you see? from an outsider's perspective, when you look in at TFC, do you see the same issues that the fans see uh, in Armas's stubbornness, which we already knew about, um, his starting 11 building, I guess, his untruthfulness, I guess? Um, you look at me very puzzled. At the beginning of the season, he said he sees... Toronto FC is having two number one goalkeepers and he's only used one of them so far. Um, so I want to get your thoughts. What do you think about Chris Armas as Toronto FC's manager and how much more of a leash should he get or should that leash be gone at this point? Should Toronto FC be looking to fire him? I, I think Chris Armas is just changing things for the sake of changing things. Uh, you know, whether that's him trying to put his stamp on things, you know, with the pressing system or what. Um, to me, it kind of feels like, you know, putting a, a square peg in a round hole. Uh, this is not a team that over the years has been built to press. It's built to possess. Um, and, you know, and I was thinking about this um, as I was kind of reading about the game because I didn't get to watch. And frankly, I haven't gotten to see a whole lot of, of TFC this year, you know, now that I think about it's it. It's a good thing. Um, yeah, thankfully. <laughs> but... You know, Pozuelo hasn't played much yet. He just got back into the into the squad by playing. He played the second half, right? First appearance this weekend, yeah. Yeah. What's he going to bring to a pressing system? 
because I feel like his strengths are in a possession system where he can unlock defenses, he can play that final pass, he can make that run. And I don't know how you operate that way in a pressing system in this case. Where he sort of succeeds, I think, in a pressing system is, A, he's he can constantly go. Like, he's got very good endurance. He's got, uh, he's able to run for a long time. He's similar to Michael Bradley back in a few years ago in that sense. This, he was very gassed uh, at the end of the Columbus game. Uh, it was quite apparent. But I think with Pajuelo, it's, he's the second press. So you have one of the strikers press, because I presume they're going to do two strikers and we didn't put this in there. We should have the Josie Altador situation, uh, which I will ask you about in a second. But I assume he's going to be the one who sort of recovers that ball and then feeds the through pa- the through ball because he's unbelievable at passing to whoever's streaking through the back line. I presume, knowing Armis, that's not at all what he's going to do, and he's going to play him as a central defensive midfielder. But that's if I were. Chris Armas, if I were looking to build a pressing system, I'd use him and Bradley as the secondary pressing options on players um, as sort of support in that sort of position, but that's not really what Armas has done, so I'm not really 100% sure how he plans to use him. That's another thing. I, I don't like, you know, what's Toronto's main formation that they're going with now? Because, like you said, you've got Delgado out of position. You've got uh, who's in Aro. The, Aro in midfield now, and that's just you know they switched that kind of crazy. They switched that last game, and it immediately became successful when they played Rachel Larea high up higher up the pitch, and Delgado uh, in at his proper central midfield position, and Aro in at his proper right back um, position, which everybody told Armas to do. So, you know. Yeah, and I I get his reasoning. Like he did explain himself a little bit in saying that he feels the need to have Aro and Lorea on the field at the same time since they both played the same position. But like, I don't know, man. Like, what's the point of forcing it if it's to the detriment of your own team? So I don't, I don't totally understand that. Drew, what are your thoughts on on Toronto and Armis? I I will say to add on, and then because Connor asked both of us. I don't. I never saw a good fit for Armis in Toronto, and I I do think he should be. You know, I think the team would be better off without him. You know, maybe give him some time. I guess once players get healthy. But Drew, do you think he should stick around? Do you think he needs a little bit longer of a leash? I mean, yeah, I haven't got similar to you, Josh. I haven't got a whole lot of time to watch TFC. I think I watched him draw with Vancouver, which, if I remember that game correctly, that was that really weird goal, and Vancouver was. It was a draw that Vancouver felt like they should have won. I'm looking, yeah, two-two draw. So I watched that game, and it seemed like Vancouver had a shot of beating them. Um, as far as Armas goes, I'm not. Again, this is coming from someone who doesn't watch TFC all the time. Um, I'm not as sold on him leaving as quickly. I think as you guys are, because I think you look at this whole stretch of games they've been on. They had to deal with Champions League. Um, where they surprisingly beat Lyon, um, and they got smacked by Cruz Azul, and they had to, you know that comeback from C- CCL and then coming to MLS games. So that was kind of a tough stretch, losing to Red Bulls, um, and they beat Columbus, and then 
drew with NYCFC, lost to Orlando, and now losing to Columbus. So they've lost two straight, and they have Orlando again when they come back from international break, Orlando, then Nashville. And they have Cincinnati, so that's good they have Cincinnati. Um, you assume that's a free three points there, but I'm not as sold on Armis leaving. I think um, i give him a little bit longer of a leash. I think seeing how the team does after this break will be very important. Um, the Josie situation just adds a whole different layer to this. I'm not really even sure I understand it all. Um, but I, I'm i not as convinced on him leaving, I think, as you guys are. Um, he had to deal with CCL as far and then just being a new manager in general. And then the, you get the weird Josie thing thrown in there. So I'm not too convinced they should leave right now. I don't know if it's end of the season thing or what, see what happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely not a strong start for a club that expects to win. Um, like we talked about making an MLS Cup, it feels like every other year, it seems at this point. But I'm not as convinced on him leaving, I think, as you guys are. Let's dive a bit. I'll dive into my thoughts, I guess, on Armas quickly. Uh, I wrote an article about it on Saturday. I put it out. Uh, so if you want to get all my thoughts, you can go and read that. But sort of the crux of what I've heard is I know people in the organization are getting very frustrated um, with him in terms of his stubbornness. Um, and I think what we're starting to see is he's trying to fit square pegs into round holes and it just isn't working. Um, he can't push hard enough for that block to break and get through. Um, and I think when you look at what this team needs and specifically you look at goalkeeper and the fact that he's playing Bono, who has cement blocks for feet. Um, and meanwhile, you have Quentin Westbrook, who's one of the better ball handling goalkeepers in MLS on your bench. I think that raises a lot of questions automatically. And, you know, he said he tried to find the young guys minutes up until, the match on the weekend. Luke Singh hadn't seen the pitch since game two. Um, Jaquil Marshall Rudy has seen, I think it was like 37 minutes or, or something like that total all season. Um, Iowa Canola was obviously the most uh, used player under 23 when I looked. Uh, and he was, I think it was like nine on the list uh, of minutes played the season which factors into the uh whole injury situation with him but what i have an issue with with people saying is we don't know what he looks like with a healthy roster yet and either they're new to tfc uh or they don't really want to admit that he wasn't the right hire because toronto fc's never been healthy and if you don't believe me Jefferson Teldo is now out for four to six weeks with a grade two calf strain or thigh strain. Uh, and Toronto FC didn't even release that. That came from the Venezuelan national team. So I don't know if this is necessarily a Chris Armas issue or if this is more of a Toronto FC issue at this point. And I think admitting that you made a mistake if you're Ali Curtis with Chris Armas is the first step to showing that you want to be here long-term and that you're trying to build a winning team. Um, but until we see a change, in my opinion, 
I'm worried about the future of Toronto FC because while they've brought in good players, it just it hasn't worked so far this season. And they need to get rid of this guy because he just isn't working. But let's dive into the Josie situation. We forgot to add this to MLS News. Um, but quick sort of summary. Josie and our favorite Chris Armas got into an altercation after the Orlando City loss. Uh, one nothing after Josie got subbed out in the 70th minute. He confronted Armas and they had an... I can't remember the exact word that was used by uh, Jeff Carlisle in... A scruffle. Yeah, a scruffle. They had a scruffle. <laughs> you, you what <laughs> was confirmed by Eric Giacometti was no punches were thrown, which is always a good thing, uh, because That's good. I, I would be <laughs> afraid of what Josie Altador would be able to do to Chris Armas. Um, but I want to get your guys' thoughts on the situation. Again, from my outsider's perspective, as somebody who doesn't follow Toronto FC very closely, who doesn't necessarily have probably all of the information in front of them has sort of just the blanket information. But what do you think about this Josie Altador situation? Do you think this is just another situation of Josie being Josie? Or do you think this stems to a larger issue involving Armas and the fact that the players are starting to get frustrated with him and uh, the stuff that he's doing this season? Yeah, I think... It's interesting because I think you could make a statement for either one of those. Obviously, Josie Altador, you know, presumed leader in the locker room. He's been in this league for a while. Um, yeah, everyone knows about Josie Altador. So, and he's had these kind of, you know, bumps along the way. Um, but also, like you said, it's been kind of a frustrating stretch for TFC frustrating stretch for him i think if i remember right he's coming off injury or something like that when isn't he coming off injury let's like let's I, be honest here. i feel like <laughs> i can just say that all the time and like there's probably an injury close that i was referring to but yeah so he's probably frustrated with you know health stuff the team not playing well new manager um either i think i sent this in our slack either Chris Armas just totally lost the locker room with that, or it was something, Josie did something that he shouldn't have done. Either one of those two, either one, you can kind of go toward. It's good that there were no punches thrown, although I think Chris Armas is a pretty ripped guy, so that'd be a fun boxing match to see, but I think Josie does have the edge on him there. Um, I think I think it's just frustration boiling up between health and the results not going the way that Josie wants it to, whether or not it's in the entire locker room, that that's a bold statement to make, I think, given just one player. I think if this is a repetitive thing, um, then maybe it'd be easier to say that, but I have a hard time saying it's in the locker room and it's just one player, although I could very well see that the locker room is not happy right now, which they shouldn't be. I mean, they've lost, what, two games in a row. Things aren't going their way. Um... But I think it's hard to say if it's a whole team thing, given one player. But that very well could be possible. It also could just be very possible that Josie's just frustrated because things aren't bouncing his way, which is understandable as well. But I'm I'm not going to say it's a team issue until I know more. But either way, I think you can make a solid argument because Josie has had these bumps in the road. And also, things aren't going TFC's way right now. But it's an interesting situ- it's a tough situation for a first-year manager to be with someone like Josie. What do you think, Josh? I said this many episodes ago, but 
I don't know, man. I just feel like Josie's always, you know, not necessarily causing problems uh, for everybody, but it's just always something with him going on, you know, whether it's the transfer rumor or, you know, like we are saying, you know, dealing with injuries and now this case, you know, falling out with the manager. And I think the way I phrased it last time I brought it up, I said maybe it's not a distraction to the locker room, but it always looks like a distraction on the outside. Um, and especially for, you know, someone like me, who's not as tapped into Toronto, you know, as you are Connor, for example, but yeah, yeah. I just don't, I just kind of wish he was gone at this point, like get him, get him somewhere else, you know, whether it's another club in MLS or, um, just out of the league. But I, I don't remember the last time I watched him play soccer. Actually, you know what? I do remember the last time I watched him play soccer and it was MLS cup final in 2019 against Seattle when he came on and scored that goal. Um, and yeah, I'm not watching every minute of Toronto and I know he's played since then at least a little bit, but the fact that, you know, that's the the last time I can like easily remember watching him play is not, not good. And so for, for him to be fighting with the manager, um, but I, I am interested, like you guys are saying with, you know, what's happening with the locker room. I'm interested to see what side the players are on. And if Armis has lost them, maybe they're, you know, with Josie and behind Josie, maybe they're behind Armis. Like we were saying earlier with Inter Miami and, you know, hopefully we get a scoop soon on some more of the details because it's not, it's not good. It's not good to be, you know, a player getting exiled by his own coach. But at the same time, I would enjoy reading a story about that, I think. <laughs> so maybe we'll get something about that in the coming weeks or down the road or whatever. But just, hey, never a dull moment in Toronto, huh? Yeah, that is one way of putting it. Um, I'm frankly surprised that Josie hasn't said anything yet, but I guess they're still handling everything internally, uh, which was the de facto answer this past weekend uh, when asked about it. But... One thing about Josie is in MLS play since that game you last watched him, he scored three goals total in two years. How many games has he played, though? That's another issue is how many games has he played. Because <laughs> um, if it's like three goals in three games, I mean, it's true. not bad, you know? Like in terms of scoring rate now, <laughs> the fact that he's only – Played in three games in the last two years, if that's the case, you know, yeah, that's an issue. But. Very true. Uh, and it's more than three games, I can tell you that much. Uh, <laughs> but he's very frustrated. Um, so we'll see where this goes. This is his third incident involving the team in some capacity this season. First one being that sketchy illness that everybody was confused about during the Champions League. Uh, and then the one before that was the transfer rumors involving Josie. So... We'll see what happens, uh, but this isn't the end of this situation. I'll pro- I'll leave it at that. I don't think this is the end. Uh, I assume more will come out of this because I think more has to come out of this. But let's move on because we've been going for over 90 minutes at this point, um, and we still have two games to get through. But DC destroyed Inter-Miami, which DC destroying any team is a miracle, but... Goals came from Ola Kamara, uh, who got two, as well as Paul Ariola. What is going on with Miami? They were booed uh, as 
I assume Josh, you put in the doc, unmercifully by the fans, uh, by home fans, which was their first time playing in front of a full stadium. What is wrong with Inner Miami? And how do they rebound from the sanctions and this abysmal performance? I'm not sure, honestly. Like, Neville's got his cutout work, his work cut out for him, man. Like the fact that he had to come in and like save the culture of this team after just one year, and now you've got these sanctions you got to deal with, and then all in the same week you get beat by. To be fair, DC's not like terrible, but they're still adjusting to a new manager, and they are ravaged by injuries. I mean, they are missing so many of their players, especially their best players. And and so to to have the news on Friday night. And then 24 hours later, play in front of your most, you know, the largest amount of fans to date and to just crap the bed like that. I mean, they're just they're like asking to lose their support at this point with the way they're handling everything. So I just don't know how you bounce back. And and Phil Neville's postgame comments did not look, did not seem, you know, positive in the slightest that nor should they have been but like I don't I just don't know how you build from this moving forward right like there have at least been times when Miami has looked competent this season and there have been times when you know it's looked like all the players are pulling in the same direction but with these sanctions coming down and this result I mean they're lucky that they've got a break right now right they can kind of you know rest up maybe regenerate some positive energy and get ready for the rest of the season. But if they don't, you know, come out of the gate swinging when they come back to play at the end of June, uh, I'm going to be extremely worried about not only this team, but the franchise in general, because you got to wonder when does the patience start to wear out um, with the fan base, which by the way, they were already chanting in Spanish at the end of the game. Uh, something like get rid of all the players, every single one of them, um, which was hilarious. I don't know if you saw that clip. They're chanting this. They're singing this in 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 Spanish, right? And there are players like walking around clapping the fans. <laughs> so they were like applauding the fans singing about getting rid of them as it was happening. I just thought that was freaking hilarious. Only in MLS, right? Like that is just that is just goofy. Um, Drew, how on earth can Inter Miami bounce back from this if they can? Um, well, I don't think they can. I don't think they will. Um, I mean, you look at their results. They've lost three of the last four. The only one they won was against Cincinnati when they had to make a comeback when Cincinnati got break shade. Break shade rather. Um, so it's been... And they're against really bad teams, right? They lost to Montreal, which Montreal was not terrible, I guess. Uh, lost to Chicago, lost it, and got thumped by D.C. United. So it's not like they're playing... New England, Seattle's, or teams like that. They're playing teams that I think that fan base expects to beat. And they're losing the games. They came really close to losing to Cincinnati, which if you lose to Cincinnati, that's like bottom of the barrel. It doesn't get worse than that. And they almost did. So it's... And then you add sanctions on top of a really bad play on the field. And, I mean, this fan base wants more, right? They were told to expect more. They were expecting winning they were expecting fun soccer a cool stadium sold out watching teams win games all the time and they're not getting that um so i'm worried about miami you're right they do have a break they play dc united again next in a couple weeks 
so I get another chance at him, but I I don't see how they can bounce back from sanctions. The f- play on the field not being good. Um, it's a very tall ask of Phil Neville in that organization, and an ask that I don't think they can do this year. Um, it feels weird to already, to already be looking toward next year this early on, but given everything Miami have gone through, I, it's hard to see anything good coming out of the season. All right, let's wrap on Miami and D.C. Uh, and let's finish off the pod before we do our goals of the week, players of the week, uh, and fantasy update with your beloved uh, Atlanta United facing one of Drew's favorite teams, Nashville SC, uh, as well as RSL and Minnesota playing. Uh what were your guys' thoughts on these two games? Obviously, Drew, you watched one game much more intently than the other. But I did you either actually did either of you watch the RSL Minnesota game? I wanted I wanted a goal kick into the stands, man. I was sitting here chilling. <laughs> it was I think it was after that game, the Nashville Atlanta game. Um, and I tell you, there is nothing more relieving than you guys probably know this, but watching soccer as a neutral is the most fun. Just wanting pure chaos is so good. So I just chilled, sat, nothing to worry about. It was wonderful. But yeah, I did watch RSL in Minnesota, and I did watch Atlanta Nashville. Those were probably the two games I watched the most closely, to be honest with you. What are your thoughts on these games? Who do you think performed well? Who struggled? Do you think the RSL Minnesota hype lived up to the expectations, or was it a bit more dead than you were expecting? It was super dead, man. It sucked. I am so upset that I made it the game of the week. Like it was just like a normal. It was, it was like what you would expect when you say RSL and Minnesota are playing. Like it wasn't. There was no tempers flaring, and David Ochoa wasn't in there, which my fantasy team, I forgot to change him out, so that's annoying. Um, but he wasn't there because he was the U.S. So that storyline of goalkeepers kicking balls in the stands wasn't there. Minnesota's goal was freaking hilarious. The ball just bounced around and. Um, the Braves lost. That's frustrating. Um, and the ball just bounced in the back of the net and drew the Minnesota. I thought when Minnesota scored, I thought they were going to go on and win that game. And this was going to be the game that turned their season around to make the playoffs. And we would look to that goal, the weirdest goal of the season, as like the spark of Minnesota United. It didn't happen. They drew. Um, so that game was just kind of bland. Um, as far as Atlanta Nashville goes... I thought Atlanta, to start off with, was really good. Um, I think Marcelino Moreno has kind of turned it on after getting that game winner against Montreal and got a goal again against Nashville. So I think this is just going to be a good run of form for him, which I know Atlanta really wants because he's not a DP anymore, but still a high-level signing, and they want a lot from him. Um, But then the defense just kind of fell apart. There and Hani Mukhtar, I think that was his first start in a while. Um, fans have been wanting him to start. He's a DP, and he came through. And this, I don't remember the first goal very well, but the second goal, he was just left wide open, like just outside the six-yard box, and the ball just fell to him. And I think he was probably wondering, like, how the heck did I get this lucky? The ball right at my feet down a goal in Atlanta, and no one's around me. Um, so the Atlanta defense just fell asleep for five minutes, and Mukhtar made him pay. Um... But yeah, I mean, credit to Nashville, right? They went on the road in a hostile environment and came back from 2-0 down. This is like the third time they've came back from being down 2-0. They did it against Montreal. Someone else. 
I forgot who else they came back from. It was earlier on in the season. But they've come Cincinnati. Back. Cincinnati. Oh, man, that's you were down 2-0 to Cincinnati. <laughs> Tough sledding. Um, so three times they've came back from 2-0 down to get a point. And so credit to them. They're unbeaten still. Um, yeah, the Atlanta defense fell apart there at the end. I think Nashville made him pay. And Mukhtar, he's kind of been – people have been wanting to start, but he hasn't been the start. But it looks like maybe two goals – in a road game, uh, pretty good shout to keep put him in the starting eleven. So Nashville made Atlanta pay, um, but the RSL Minnesota game it was boring, man. It was sad. I was very disappointed in it. Um, Josh, what did you think about Atlanta Nashville? And did you catch any of RSL Minnesota? Um, I didn't catch any of RSL. Watch the note. I turned on RSL Minnesota just in time to see Minnesota equalize. And I was I was pretty bummed. Goal of the year, right? <laughs> I was pretty bummed because I wanted RSL to win because I want that that narrative to keep going of of them just like beating up on on the loons. Um, he would have gotten to kick the ball in the stands again. Someone else would have, but that would have been awesome. Uh, we're being robbed of an excellent tradition. Um, the Atlanta game, uh, you know, I was there, and it was honestly a excellent first 80 minutes from Atlanta. They really, like, you know, the problem with them so far this season has been they control the ball, they get down the field, and then they don't know what to do next. <laughs> they get into the attacking third, and they're like, you know, allergic to scoring for whatever reason. They, there's no sense of urgency from the team. Totally different from them on Saturday. I mean, they looked very energetic. They looked like they were going after it. Um, and that you can see on both goals, I mean, the team is pushing forward, and they're finally making that final pass and being goal dangerous for once. If you had told me before the game, that we were going to draw Nashville 2-2. I would have said, heck yeah, I'll take that result. You're telling me Atlanta scores two goals in this game and we don't lose? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that all day at this point because they're struggling to score goals. But my God, <laughs> the way it happened. <laughs> I mean, you know, okay, so here's the worst part about this, right? Being in the stadium. Just seconds before Hani Mukhtar scored that first goal, Brad Gazan made an excellent save with like the tip of his toes like literally the tip of his toes and in the stadium we're all sitting there wondering did he just make a save or did they just miss and we're waiting we're all looking up at the halo board we're waiting on the replay the replay finally comes in and like everyone in my section was like oh man he made that save what a great save and right next to it is the live shot of him getting scored on and so we're like, yeah, he's, he made the save. Oh, he's not making that save. <laughs> so it was just like utterly heartbreaking. And, you know, I'm curious to know, actually, Connor, at Toronto games, when the other team scores, what is it like? Do the fans boo? Is it quiet? Like, what, what is it like when the other team scores? Everyone groans, uh, usually. And then it usually is a little quiet uh, as the other team celebrates, but... The supporter section at TFC is one of the better ones in MLS. So they're always cheering and always chanting. Um, so they'll always just be chanting no matter what. Uh, but most people just groan. And depending on what's happening that season or in that game, people might angrily yell at players or the manager or whatever. Uh, but it's that's sort of what happens in Toronto. I don't know if that's more aggressive than other places, but the reason I ask is because it has been this way ever since 
Atlanta started playing. Like I remember this specifically happening in the first game ever against Red Bulls. And Drew, I'm sure you can attest to this, but it always gets like it's just quiet. It's like every single time Atlanta gets scored on, it's kind of like, wait, what just happened? Like, did did they did we just get scored on? Like, it it never feels like anybody knows what's going on. I don't know if it's a product of just like how big the stadium is or how many people are there or like what what it is exactly. And maybe it is like that everywhere, but it is always so freaking silent and I hate it so much. It makes me so uncomfortable <laughs> when the other team scores. Um, now what was even worse this time is during that second goal, which was scored like within three minutes of the first one, the stadium was in the middle of the ATL Viking <laughs> Viking chant. <laughs> And so we're like, like one, we're not feeling good. We're all on edge after the first goal. And we're like, like sheepishly, like clapping our hands together and doing the chant. And then they score a second goal. And that's when everybody's just like, and then the the freaking supporters section tries to start the chant up again. And I'm like, no, nobody wants to chant right now. Okay. We're all really upset. We're all really distraught. Like, can we not do this? Like read the room, please. So I just, it was it was a crazy result. In hindsight, you know, I should have known better because, like Drew said, Nashville has one of two games. They either concede two goals and come back and draw two to two, or they just don't concede any goals. I should have known the second Atlanta scored what was going to happen with this game. It was written in the stars. Um, also, side note, I love being a fan of MLS because it means I can heckle opposing teams by their first name, opposing players by their first name, because you know no one around me knows that Dave Romney's first name is Dave, and yet here I am <laughs> telling him that he's got the worst free throw in the game, you know, from two rows up in the stadium. <laughs> so I love I love being able to call players by their first name, you know, or Alistair Johnson on that one side. Like, it's just, it's so funny. And you got, you know, SEC dad over here, like, you know, complaining about whatever's going on in the game. He hasn't got a clue what any of these national players <laughs> are but yeah you know good good for atlanta to finally show some 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 teeth and you know some attacking will you know but what a horrible way to to finish out that game i'll say um moving on though into our one second i'm gonna jump in next week i'm gonna uh preview next week we're gonna do a deep dive into atlanta i want to do a deep dive because i think they're one of the teams with the most turnover or most changes from last season. Uh, and I want to get you guys to sort of break down how they've looked and uh, how you think their new players have performed, how you think the new uh, manager, Gabriel Heinze's done, everything along that those lines. Uh, so next week we'll break down that. But let's wrap up the games of the week, which is what you were about to do, I assume. And, uh, or games of last week, I think, because we have Goal a games of the week, week segment. Yeah, whatever. Let's do our goals of the week uh, because there were a few bangers this weekend um, and some more than others. And I'm jealous of one of you for picking this before us. But uh, let's start off with that person, Mr. Boland. Uh, what was your goal of the week? Yeah, the second this goal happened, I jumped in the slack and called shotgun for this goal. Uh luc Busio's phenomenal free kick um hopefully this ends up being one of the goals of the year one of the many goals of the year because we've been blessed with some bangers uh but busio gave us another one i mean just perfect whip on that ball perfect pace hit the inside of the free uh the the post 
goalkeeper never stood a chance totally gave up on it halfway through the year i mean it was just it was just glorious i i feel so privileged to have witnessed that with my eyeballs um <laughs> moving on though connor what was your goal of the week the second best free kick in <laughs> christian caceres uh which i definitely said wrong because he's probably Spanish, but I can't speak Spanish. No, that uh, was pretty good. Pretty good? That was pretty good. I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, but I went with Christian Casares' free kick. Drew, which goal did you go with? I went with Keegan Rosenbree's goal against FC Dallas. Uh, Colorado, I think, won 3-0. And if I remember it right, I don't think it was a volley, but he just smacked the crap out of it. Um I don't know if it touched the ground or not. It was one of those kind of like that cut the grass, you know what I'm talking about? So it was a good goal. Um, and that got my goal of the week nod. Uh, going to players of the week, uh, Josh, kind of similar to your goal of the week. Who did you have for your player of the week? Yeah, I ended up picking John Luca Busio. Um, to be quite honest with you guys, I didn't even vote um, this week just because voting closed voting closed at noon yesterday on monday as we're recording this on tuesday and as i mentioned earlier in the podcast i played pickup in the morning and then immediately went golfing and i just i just didn't have time to make my decision also didn't get to watch as many games as i normally would so i did not feel comfortable voting um this weekend but that's also why i'm kind of copping out and picking the same player as my my uh, goal of the week. That being said, Busio did also assist, and I mean, he really jump started Sporting Kansas City's come from behind win over Houston. So I do think he was deserving regardless, but that's why I ended up going with him. Drew Connor, <laughs> as Drew's getting settled, what was uh, your player of the week? My player of the week? Uh, I did it solely because we haven't given him one, I don't think, yet this season, and he's been superb all year. In Carlos Gill, uh, and by Gill, I mean the fish, uh, you know, really helped in finding Nemo. No, I'm kidding. Um, so, yes, I know it's heel. I was making the joke. <laughs> All right, fine. Carlos heel. Uh, he has just been really, really good this season. I think we should recognize his performance consistently has been very good, and he made the team of the week this week. So I gave it to Carlos heel. Uh, happy Josh. You don't like the jokes, clearly. But I'm the one who made that joke first. Don't even yeah. don't even say that. Then why do you put the proper name in there if we've made it a joke? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh <laughs> Drew, if you are good to go, um who is your player of the week? My player of the week is Hani Mukhtar getting two goals. Against Atlanta, uh, the Nashville office was very excited to see him get two goals, and they were the fans were very happy to see him in the start and get two goals to draw in Atlanta. So I went with Honey Mukhtar getting the start and getting two goals against Atlanta United was my player of the week. All right, and with that, we are left with the Josh's favorite segment of the episode. I don't want to the do one this. he. Is, this is this is where I tune out. Yeah, the one he's so involved in every week. I, uh, I'm learning why up? Josh hates this thing, dude. It's so <laughs> annoying. One player scores, and I'm like, this is finally my week, and then I check back 20 minutes later, and I'm like in dead last. 
Yeah, you two had very bad weeks this week, which again, not out of the out of the ordinary. Uh, although we're again bringing up the back, bringing up the rear here, uh, which again, no change from Mr. Boland. He is still sitting in last place, although he's going to claim it's not last place because he's technically above one person who hasn't set his roster ever. Yeah, it's not last. Uh, with 306 points, put up 32 points last week, which is abysmal. Um, but Drew, you did a little bit better than that. You're sitting at 442 points. You put up 59 points uh, on the weekend. You had zero goalies play because you accidentally left Ochoa in, which you mentioned earlier. Uh, Reynoso didn't play either. Reynoso didn't play either. And you captained Chicharito, which... I need to change that. I need a captain Carlos over there. Uh, that is what I did this past weekend. Uh, and <laughs> I'm sitting in 10th place. Um, See, even then, there's no way to win yeah, this thing. It's no. a terrible, terrible thing. Why did we do this? I'm on Josh's <laughs> side now. This sucks. <laughs> I love this. This is great. Uh, I put up 71 points last week. Uh, captained Carlos Hill. Uh, I had Danny, uh, Danny Krylak, which I was happy with, who came in, saved me, and Bond. Who, Krylak? Isn't it Danny? Danny? Yeah, Demir. I said Demir. Demir. Oh, it's Demir? You've been Krylocked. Demir Krylock. Who's Danny? Why do I think it's Danny? You're thinking of the great Danny Musovsky. <laughs> and that's a good place to The best to striker LAFC's ever seen. No, okay. Let's cool it there. Um, but wrapping up the fantasy update, top of the league, Goat Breck Shea, Nelson, Still got like a 20-point lead on second place, which is Colorado Crapids, who is Curtis. Again, great name. It is spelt with Ks, uh, but Colorado Crapids, I love that name. Uh, And finally, coming in third, our favorite to second favorite name, Blender Daddy's Boys (laughs) with Henderson. So shout out Blender Daddy. Uh, I don't want to win the league anymore. I just want to hear you keep saying the names on the podcast. <laughs> exactly. That's the best part of the podcast because all three people have the great names. Like, we have great names in this league. I don't think we talk about that enough. Our fifth place, we got Peachy Swagger, who's a fellow Atlanta fan. Big Peppy, sitting in eighth. Like, we got some good names. Even Drew, Rocco's Mustache. Uh... <laughs> And then there's Josh with GB Sports, although I can't talk because mine's just Connor. Uh, <laughs> but let's wrap the podcast. We've been going for almost two hours, which is absurd. Uh, so if you've listened all the way through, thank you. We really appreciate it. But I will wrap us, I guess. Uh, unless, Drew, do you want to do it? You got it, my man. I got it. All right. Check out the podcast if you haven't already, and this is the first time you're listening to listening to us. Subscribe. Um, follow us all on Twitter, myself at CWG Somerville, uh, Drew at Drew underscore Hubbard and Josh at underscore Josh Boland. Check out the website. We're putting out countless amazing articles, um, consistently. You can check out my article I put up on the weekend, ripping into Chris Armas, sort of, um, get my entire thoughts on that. But again, subscribe to the podcast, give feedback. We'd love some feedback. We'd love a rating. Um, 
we'd love to hear what we'd love to hear what you guys have to say because I don't think we have any <laughs> ratings yet. Um, but we'd love to hear from you. So please reach out to us. And finally, check out our interview we did a few weeks ago with Nkosi Tafara. It was really, really good, really insightful into what the Black Players for Change plan to do this season and more information on that entire uh, organization. So please, please, please go and check that out. Um, but yeah, uh, I'll stop rambling. I'll wrap us and I will say, have a great week. Enjoy the international games. Uh, no MLS, unfortunately, but look forward to next week where we'll, we will break down Atlanta United's season so far. So without further ado, have a good week and peace. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast. Check out all of the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com.